Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so your participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your Front Range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado. And Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there and they have a million TVs. It feels like it's not a bad seat in the house and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> A special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? We was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind here today. We are presented this afternoon by Total Beverage. want to tell you guys about a really awesome deal for BSN listeners with Total Beverage right now. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. But for a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. That's the only thing. you got to use their website or their app, which you can download from the iTunes store, whatever store you use if you're operating on an Android. <laughs> download their app, use promo code BSN10, BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 order for all your holiday parties and have it delivered right to your door. So make sure to check those guys out at Total Beverage. 
All right, like I said, Thursday edition of the show. Solo show today probably won't be as long as we normally go, but just got back into town from Houston, from Miami. I was on the road with the team for those two days. A win in Miami, a loss in Houston, of course. I'll go over a few notes from those games here, really. I know I haven't gotten to the Total Beverage Fan Hotline in a while. I will make sure to do that on Friday's edition of the show, and I think we'll record a couple of shows over the weekend as well. So we'll get all your questions in here shortly. Uh, Sorry I haven't gotten to those in a few days. Before I jump into these last two games for Denver, and of course I'll, I'll talk about that loss in Houston a few nights back on Monday, and then the win in Miami, a big win, a win where Denver had a lot of excuses to fall back on, second game of back-to-back, three games in four nights, getting into Miami at 3, 4 a.m. in the morning uh, from Houston the night before. They could have used a lot of those excuses, uh, but a big win for Denver. They pulled that one out late in the fourth quarter. Uh, I will touch on that in a minute. First, though, I'm recording here Thursday morning. The Clippers are in town. Daniil Gallinari is in town. I wanted to get off a few thoughts on his return here. Gallo, of course, spent five and a half seasons here in Denver, was a part of a lot of really great teams, was injured when the Clippers came to Denver last year. And, of course, the Nuggets and Clippers played on the opening night of the regular season. That was the first time he's played against Denver, but that was in L.A. This is the first time he's been back in Denver getting set to take the floor uh, for the Clippers. And it's going to be interesting tonight. I'm sure he'll get the video tribute first time out of the game, deservingly so. I expect him to get a standing ovation from the Nuggets fans tonight, and and I'm sure that's what will happen. Gallinari had a lot of great seasons here in Denver. Like I mentioned, he spent five and a half years here, was a part of a lot of great teams, was really Denver's star, or I mean, he really wasn't a star, but the closest thing the Nuggets had to a star throughout those teams. Of course, I wasn't covering the team at the time, but I was growing up watching this team kind of come together, and Gallinari was the best player on those Nuggets teams. I know Ty Lawson really emerged late on those teams as a really reliable guy, a fringe all-star type guy. But you always got the sense that this was Gallinari's team. He was the focal point. He, He was this team's best player kind of in the aggregate. And if you look back on his stats, he he had a lot of great years. Averaged 19.5 points per game in 2015-16 with the Nuggets, 35 minutes per game, only 53 games that year. And that was always the thing with Gallo, right? The injuries. That's probably what followed him throughout his career in Denver the most. That's probably a big portion of what the narrative is going to be about his career when it's all said and done, right? What could have been? Uh, that, that's kind of what you always think about with Danilo Gallinari. And his first year in L.A. with the Clippers, that was the case. He only played in 21 games and, like I mentioned, was not active, did not play when the Clippers visited Denver. This year, it's been the opposite. 39 games for Gallo, 32 minutes per game. He's having a career year, uh, 19.5 points per game, equaling the career high that he scored in a game, what he did in 2015-16, also averaging 19.5 points per game, shooting really good numbers from the field, 46% uh, overall from the field. That's a career high. 45% from three, just stupid numbers from three-point range on 5.3 attempts per game. Uh, It's amazing. He's having a career year in his 10th NBA season when he's 30 years old uh, for a guy who's been through a bunch of major knee injuries and a a bunch of stuff throughout his career that you thought would probably end his career prematurely, but no, it's being prolonged here. So uh, looking back on his time in Denver, personally, I'm happy for him. I'm happy he's having the success uh, in LA that 
he wanted when he chose to sign there. And I guess that brings me to my next point. Clippers held shoot around this morning. Gallinari spoke with the media. And again, it was a bit of an event because this, of course, is his first game back in Denver since he went to the Clippers two summers ago. It seems like a while, but uh, this is the first time he'll play in Denver. Uh, So he spoke with the media, had a lot of good things to say. Here's an interesting quote he had, I thought. I had to ask him if the decision to move on from Denver was a difficult one. Of course, he spent five and a half seasons here in Denver. Uh, The Nuggets were obviously on the up and up. He enjoyed his time here. He still has a home here. He enjoyed being a part of this organization. He enjoyed living in Colorado and the Denver lifestyle. So I asked him how difficult of a decision was it for him to move on here? And I thought he had a pretty interesting answer. Here's what he said. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it was it was tough because my first choice was, uh, of course, Denver. Uh, and so, uh, but you know, we we didn't we didn't find uh, we didn't find uh, the right situation for me and the team. And so I had to take another route. So here's what I remember about Gallinari's exit from Denver. I do remember reports surfacing and you know hearing firsthand that he did want to continue his career in Denver. He wanted to re-sign in Denver, of course, if the price was right. That's the one caveat, of course. But you just got the sense that the Nuggets were moving in a different direction, right? They were moving in a different direction around Nikola Jokic. And yeah, they had the money to re-sign him, sure. But you got the sense that they wanted to move on. I think they wanted to wipe the slate clean, I guess, in a way, center everything around Nikola Jokic and... It's not that I don't think Daniil Gallinari and Nikola Jokic hated each other, like some people will say. I just think it was a bit uncomfortable at times because you had Daniil Gallinari here on one hand, who had been the star of this team, the face of this franchise for four or five years in a row. And you had the new kid on the block, Nikola Jokic, who everybody could see towards the end of Gallo's tenure here that Nikola Jokic was going to be the new face of the franchise, the new star, the new cornerstone of this organization. And I get the sense that was a tough transition and realization for Gallinari to have. Being the face of a franchise is a lot of responsibility. It's a cool role to play. And handing over the reins like that isn't something that is easy to do. So I think that was something that probably led to his departure as well. And look, he's in a great situation in L.A. And you got to give Denver credit for help facilitating the process of getting him to L.A. Remember, Gallinari didn't sign in Los Angeles as a free agent, technically. It was a sign and trade that Denver executed with LA and with Atlanta, who was the third team to get in there to make all the salary cap dynamics work properly. Denver helped Gallinari get to LA. And look, Denver treats their guys well when they're here, obviously, and even when they have to move on. Look, Denver released Emmanuel Terry this summer. Instead of keeping him on their roster, he was a training camp invite. He clearly wasn't going to make the team. Denver had all their guaranteed roster spots locked up, but they released him at a time that gave him an opportunity to sign with a G League team and make some money for himself. And sure enough, he signed with Canton with the Cleveland Cavaliers G League affiliate and is having a really good season. You also saw them do that with a number of players they've released or moved on from over the last couple of seasons. And That's what they did with Gallinari, getting him, facilitating him to L.A. So I bring up this Gallinari-Jokic dynamic and the discussion around that because Gallinari spoke on Nikola Jokic today at Clippers Shootaround. Here's what he had to say about Denver's big man. Uh, he's, uh, he's one of the best centers in the league, and it's tough to, to guard him. He's, uh, he has an unbelievable, unbelievable core vision. Um, he doesn't have any weaknesses in offense, offensively. 
line. So he's uh, he's their point guard. Is the, the, the I think the the secret of all uh, the, the the winnings that we've been having. So he's uh, he's an amazing player. Another interesting point Gallinari made, and he was asked about this, but it's something I've also spoken about on this podcast multiple times and said on Twitter. This Clippers team right now, the brand of basketball they play without a star, how unselfish they are, it's giving off some vibes of the Nuggets 2012-2013 team that won, what, 57 games, was the third seed in the Western Conference that year. The personalities on this Clippers team kind of representative of some guys in Denver. You got a guy like Montrez Harrell who plays a lot like Kenneth Faree did early in his career. You've got Gallinari, obviously, who was a central figure on that 2012 Nuggets team. Tobias Harris, another big contributor on the wing, kind of in the mold of a younger Wilson Chandler. At point guard, you've got you know the Lou Williams, Ty Lawson type comparison. Scores there, big time playmakers. Doc Rivers, George Carl, big personality head coaches. So there's a bunch of similarities there, and I think the unselfishness is a big part of it too. All those guys in LA are playing for each other right now, and you got to feel like Gallinari likes playing that style of ball. Here's what he said when asked about that comparison today, which I thought was interesting. I don't see similar similarities in the roster, but I see similarities in terms of like atmosphere and teammates and personalities. Um, so hopefully we can do we can have the same record or better and do the same thing. In what way the personalities they they seem so? Uh, it's very like team oriented. We don't have uh, a lot of unselfish players. Uh, all playing for each other, not really thinking about personal individual stats. That's the thing that is very similar to them. So Gallinari doesn't see many similarities in the roster, he said, but in the roles and how they play. I think there are some similarities with the roster, but like he said, more to the tune of, oh, these guys are really unselfish. They're, they're playing a team brand of basketball, which hasn't always been the case in L.A., and that's something – that was a staple of that Nuggets team in uh, 2012. They got up and down the floor. They all played together. They didn't really have the stars, so that's where kind of the similarities are. But, yeah, Gallinari's back in Denver here tonight. Nuggets host the Clippers. I'm sure it'll be a full crowd. I've had a lot of people get at me on Twitter about some – comments that Bill Simmons made on Zach Lowe's podcast, how Denver has one of the worst home court advantages in the league. I mean, we all know that's simply not true. Bill Simmons, his point was, oh, there's so many opposing fans at the games. There's so many Celtics fans at the games when Boston comes. There's so many Lakers fans at the games. That was more so true a couple years ago. It's really been tilting back in the other direction. The crowds have been strong. Really strong at Pepsi Center this year. A ton of sellouts. I'm sure there'll be a great crowd tonight as well. And those comments are a little weird coming from Bill Simmons, who goes to a ton of Clippers games. And the Clippers are one of the worst home court crowds in the league. I mean, Clippers games are pretty much away games for the Clippers. The Clippers probably have one of the smallest fan bases in the league. I mean, (laughs) if we're just being real here. So weird comments coming from a guy who goes to a ton of Clippers games, uh, but... If Bill really wants to get a feel of how strong the Nuggets fans have been bringing it this year, I'm personally extending an invite to him to come to a Nuggets game as my personal guest. We can sit right next to each other, and he can hear how strong the Nuggets fan base has been this year because you guys have been killing it. The crowds have been great this year, and the players have been feeding off that, and I think it's a big reason for their success, particularly at home. And that was another reason why 
my eyebrows even raised a little bit when he made those comments that Denver has the worst home court advantage in the league. They're 16-3 and at home. The Nuggets have been the best home team in the NBA this year. So I think those comments are a tad off base. But those two had some nice things to say about Nicole Jokic, although Bill doesn't really buy into the Nuggets as a legit playoff contender. I can see why people make that argument. I mean, Denver hasn't done anything in the playoffs before. Who knows what this team's going to like in the postseason, although I think they're going to look pretty good. That's a classic argument, right? You've got to have shown you can do it in the playoffs before, before you're going to be counted on as a real legitimate contender. I get that. I get there's an argument there. I, I can see the line of thinking in that. But with the talent on this roster and how they've played for most of the season defensively, and I'll get into their defense in a second here when talking about this Rockets loss and how their defense has kind of been cratering a bit and really sliding over the last month or so. But you know they're more legitimate than Bill was giving them credit for there. So it's a national perspective. It's a national narrative that's cast over the Nuggets right now. And look, they'll have to do something in the playoffs to kind of fix that and push that back in the other direction. But Zach Lowe had some nice things to say about Denver, and the, both of them had some nice things to say about the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic and how brilliant he is. And I still don't think we really appreciate this guy and what he's been able to do this year. We don't talk about him in the light we probably should. He's magical. <laughs> and It's cool to see guys like that reflect on him in that light. But come on, Bill. I'm personally extending you an invite to a Nuggets game this year. Come hang out with me. I'll show you that these Nuggets fans have actually been a lot better than how you say they've been. Let's go ahead and hit a break real quick. I want to get to what happened in Houston, that loss to the Rockets, another one to James Harden and company, and then this Nuggets win in Miami. Got a couple notes on that that I wanted to share. We'll be right back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Green Mountain Dental Group is a family-owned business that has been a staple in Lakewood for over 40 years. Whether it's cosmetic, oral surgery, or preventative dentistry, at Green Mountain Dental Group, you will find nothing but the best. We have chosen Green Mountain Dental and will continue to attend Green Mountain Dental because of the superior care that we receive from them. Their facility is amazing and above all, it's the personal touch that we receive from the people there, including Dr. Ben Jr. and Anne and Mary and Sherry and Marie. They've known me was my husband, my children, and now my grandchildren, and are just incredible with all of us. That was Annette. She's been a patient at Green Mountain Dental Group since 1976 and truly loves their service. Never did I think in 1976 how blessed we would be to recognize the people at Green Mountain Dental and are so thankful that they have been a part of our lives. For all new patients, Green Mountain Dental Group offers free teeth whitening trays when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Just mention BSN Denver. Welcome back to BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Harrison Wind here on a Thursday afternoon getting set for Nuggets Clippers. Here's my overarching take about this Rockets game, and it's not a super complex one. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to, th to come up with this take, but Denver has got to avoid the Houston Rockets in a first-round playoff series. They meet in the second round, sure, because I think if Denver gets to the second round of the playoffs, I think everything at that point is just an added bonus. You, you take whatever happens after the first round if Denver does advance that far. But they've got to avoid the Rockets 
in a first-round playoff series. I told you guys this two, three weeks ago when I went ahead and ranked possible first-round playoff matchups for the Nuggets easiest to hardest among the eight current playoff teams. The Houston Rockets were the eight seed at the time, and I said on this very podcast that the Rockets were still the toughest opponent that Denver could face in the playoffs, and I think we saw why Monday night in Houston, and I still maintain that stance. If I'm Denver, I'd rather go up against Golden State. I would rather go up against OKC. I'd rather go to San Antonio in a first-round playoff series than face the Rockets. The Rockets just have Denver's number. Denver's been one of the best teams in the league this year. Uh, They've in my opinion, been the best team from game one through this point in the regular season in the league. Better than Houston, who got out of the gates really slow. Better than Golden State. Better than Toronto. Better than Milwaukee. I think Nuggets have been the best team in the league from game one through this point in the regular season. They don't look like the best team in the league against Houston, however. The Rockets just have the Nuggets number right now. And going to Houston, I mean, that is a tough place to play anyway. When James Harden gets going, that arena gets rocking, it's another animal. But Houston just does a lot of things that Denver can't really counter right now. And obviously, you can look at James Harden, the isolation player he is. Denver's always struggled to contain him in the high pick and roll. They've struggled with Clint Capella at the rim. And in this game, Denver comes out and they do what I believe a lot of us expected the Nuggets to do. They really trap Harden hard off the high pick and roll. They make him give the ball up. It's a good strategy. The only problem with it is it's like you got to pick your poison with Harden, but he can hit you from all angles, right? If you take away his scoring, he's going to hurt you with his playmaking and passing. James Harden is probably one of the most underrated passers in the league. He's probably a top five passer in the league. He's an unbelievable pocket passer out of the pick and roll. Denver sends two defenders at him. He's still able to get the ball to P.J. Tucker. He's still able to get the ball to Clint Capella. He's so underrated in that part of his game. So you try to take away his scoring, but he's going to hurt you with his facilitating. And P.J. Tucker comes out, uh, drains a ton of wide-open threes. Denver really tried to make Houston's role players beat them. And look, P.J. Tucker hadn't been shooting the ball great coming into this matchup with Denver. He had actually been really struggling from three over his past couple of games. I mean, Tucker came into this Denver game off of a one of seven performance against New Orleans a week back, an 0-4 performance against Memphis, another 1-4 performance against the Warriors, and then comes out against Denver and goes seven of 11 from three. Again, I know a lot of those were wide open threes, but Denver wanted to make Houston's role players beat them. And I don't know, I think that's a pretty decent strategy or as at least as good of a strategy as you can come up with against the Rockets. Now, Gerald Green hitting six of 10 threes, and he was also six of 10 of the night. So the only 10 shots he took were all from three-point range, and the only six field goals he had were all from three-point range as well. And he came into this matchup cold from three, too. Against the Warriors, Gerald Green was three of 10 from distance against the Blazers uh, two nights before. This Denver game, he was 1 of 5 from 3. He goes 6 of 10 from 3 against the Nuggets, and two nights later against the Bucs, he goes just 3 of 10. Uh, So Denver kind of got hit with Tucker, with Green from beyond the arc. They were wide open, sure, but I don't think you can count on them to make 7 and 6 threes in another matchup, respectively. But that's the thing with Houston. You take away Harden scoring, they've got enough capable shooters where they're still going to hit you. And you got to wonder now, 
and I don't think Michael Malone believes this, and I don't think most of the players believe this, but you got to wonder if Houston's just got a mental edge on Denver right now where you don't see it as much so in the first half when this game was close because the Nuggets were still in range in this game through three quarters and even at the beginning of the fourth quarter. This was, you know, a 10, 11, 12-point game. Denver was still in range there with how potent they can be offensively. But once Houston starts getting on one of those runs, once James Harden has a spurt like he did at the end of the first half where he just sent Jamal Murray to the deck, drilled that step back three and got a four-point play out of that game, and then goes on to score, I believe, 10 points in the final 147 of the second half. And once Houston goes on a similar run in the fourth quarter, you got to wonder if Denver turns to one another and, and thinks, oh man, here we go again. Here's another one of these Rockets runs and there's nothing we can do about it. Because mentally, I feel like that would be tough to overcome. You've tried so many things against this Rockets team. You've tried to defend Harden one-on-one. You've tried to trap him like Denver did here in this recent matchup. And he's still going to go off for 30-something points. He's still going to hand out double-digit assists. And Clint Capella goes off in this game, too. 13 of 18, 9 rebounds, plus 26 in 37 minutes. Pretty much just a perfect game from Clint Capella. And James Harden is special. I think he's the best straight scorer in the league right now. If you need somebody to get you a bucket... I'm going James Harden, and you know he didn't even have the most efficient offensive game here, but he got to the line a ton. People like to make a huge argument about his fouls, and he gets so many calls and whatnot. Look, I know it's frustrating as a Nuggets fan. It's probably frustrating as an NBA fan, and every time the Nuggets play the Rockets, my phone gets bombarded with people texting me, oh, James Harden is so annoying to watch. The only reason he's good is because he gets all the foul calls. He gets to the line whenever he wants. Look, that's a skill. Drawing fouls in this league is a skill, and James Harden does it more than anybody. You just cannot reach, and you cannot have your hands out in front of you when guarding James Harden. He's too crafty. He's going to draw contact. You've got to play back. You've got to play straight up and down. You can't be reaching for the ball. You can't be trying to block his shot because he's going to draw a foul call. Nobody has really just figured out how to defend him. And let's just say the Nuggets and Rockets, when they do play again later this year, or let's imagine they meet each other in a playoff series, I anticipate Denver will have and execute a similar strategy to what they did in Houston. I feel like, especially in that first half, despite Harden's late second quarter flurry, the Nuggets executed on defense how they wanted to defend James Harden uh, by hedging really hard out on the perimeter whenever one of his bigs or a P.J. Tucker would come out the screen and by making Houston's role players beat them. And that's what they did. I think Denver will take that. And uh, so we'll see if they execute that same strategy. I anticipate they will. But I guess this brings me to a larger point about the Nuggets. And the biggest trend with this team over the last month or so is that this Nuggets defense has really fallen off from where it was at the beginning of this season. I mean, this was a top five defense for really the first two months of the year. It was the biggest storyline, the biggest thing you could point to as to why Denver had risen to the top of the Western Conference. It was in a large part because of this team's defense. But you look at how they've played on the defensive end of the floor as of late, and they've looked more like the Nuggets of last year on defense than what this team looked like at the beginning of this year. And if you want to look at a date, if you want to find the pivot point 
as to when this slide on defense started. It's November 30th. Denver beat Portland 113-112, and that is where Denver's defense started trending downward. Up until that point, the Nuggets were 14-7 and near the top of the Western Conference. They had just beat the Lakers on November 27th, 117-85. At that point in the year, through 21 games, the Nuggets were the third best defense in the league. They had the third best net rating in the league. 103.2 points per 100 possessions. That's what the Nuggets were giving up on defense through that point in the season, through that win against the Lakers where they held LeBron and LA to 85 points. Since then, Denver has looked like a different team on the defensive end of the floor. In the 18 games since, in the 18 games since November 27th, the Nuggets are the 23rd ranked defense in the league. They're giving up 111.2 points per 100 possessions. That's around two points per 100 possessions worse than their defensive rating was last year. Uh, they are still 13 and five in that stretch. They still have one of the better records in the league over that stretch but they're doing it with their offense. They have the sixth-ranked offense in the league over these last 18 games. And so that's what I mean when I say over this recent stretch, over the last month, month and a half, Nuggets have looked like the team they were last year. They're not giving out much on the defensive end of the floor, the 23rd-ranked defense over the last 18 games. They're doing it on offense. They're doing it with the sixth-ranked offense in the league over that stretch. They still have a positive net rating. They're still playing winning basketball. But you're really starting to wonder if this defense is going to settle in more at a league average rate than the top five rate they were at the beginning of the season. I think we can pretty safely say that this is going to settle in at maybe the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th defense, something in that range, which is still really good. It's still a huge improvement from last year. But to do that, they've still got to stop this slide. And I think there are a couple reasons why they've slid on defense as of late. The first one is health. These last 18 games, Gary Harris and Paul Millsap have missed a large chunk of them. Of course, Gary Harris had that hip injury that he came back from. And of course, he just hurt his hamstring again. I'm not sure what his status is for this Clipper game. He did not play in Portland. And of course, Paul Millsap missed a bunch of games with that broken too. So I do think once both those guys and Millsap is ramped back up to starter level minutes right now and Gary Harris will see he might not get back to 30 plus minutes a game right now for a couple more games once he comes back from this latest hamstring issue. But I've maintained the belief that once those guys are playing 30 to 35 minutes a night, once they're back up to starter level minutes, Denver's defense will slightly rebound and the first game, obviously, that both those guys were back in the starting lineup was in Houston, and that was not a great defensive game from Denver. Again, they allowed 125 points. They allowed the Rockets to shoot 46.8% from three, 50% from the field. Not a great defensive showing there, but I'm not sure how much we can take from this Rockets game. Nobody can stop Houston right now, and especially with Denver's recent success against the Rockets, I wasn't counting on them to post good defensive numbers here. So I don't know if that's a great representation of the Nuggets defense and what they currently are right now. I thought the defense looked better in Miami, which was impressive because it was on the second night of a back-to-back. -back. But going back to my larger point, I've maintained that once Millsap and Gary Harris get back to 30-plus minutes tonight, I think the defense is going to rebound a little bit. And if that rebound doesn't vault Denver back into the top five, that's okay. As long as Denver is a league average defense, and this is what I said at the beginning of the season, I didn't see the Nuggets becoming a top five defense when we were recording podcasts on podcast preseason and into training camp. Both Christian and I thought this defense was going to be much improved. 
But I don't think anybody thought it was realistic to think they'd jump into the top five. And maybe they were playing a little over their heads earlier this season, and now they've come back to earth a little. But as long as they settle into that 15 to 10 range, that's going to set up really well for Denver. They'll make the playoffs easily because this offense isn't going to slip below the top 10. And just currently speaking, overall this season, I know I went into those last 18 games and the splits there, but on the season, Denver's 27 and 12 through 39 games, seventh in offense and ninth in defense. So they're still top 10 in both, which is a really good sign. Still the fourth best net rating. So the sky seems like it might be falling a little bit on the defensive end of the floor, uh, but I don't know how much you can take from that Rockets game. And that was the first game that Paul Millsap and Gary Harris were back in the starting lineup for. And then they go into Miami and Gary hurts his hamstring. And he's probably one of the Nuggets' best defenders, probably their best perimeter defender. And that hurts them as well. So now it's going to be a little bit prolonged until both those guys get ramped up to starter level minutes. So I think the defense will rebound. Will it rebound into the top five? Probably not. Will they settle in somewhere from 10 to 15? I think yes. And that still bodes really well for them in the long term. Let me hit another break real quick. I want to touch on what I saw go down in Miami and that impressive win for the Nuggets. We'll be right back. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Hey, if you guys have a second, please head over to iTunes, drop us a five-star review. Shout out to you guys who have done that recently. Really appreciate it. I know a lot of you guys have been leaving reviews recently because we've been asking for it, and I hate to do it. I know it's kind of annoying as a listener to listen to, uh, but we do really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show and helps us know that you guys are liking the content we're putting out on a daily basis here over at BS in Denver. Also, it's not too late to get in on a BS in Denver subscription, just $4.99 a month. If you really don't want to pay $4.99 a month, hit me up for a friends and family discount. I might give it to you as long as you sign up for a subscription. So hit me in the DMs if you're interested in that, or just go to bsndenver.com backslash subscribe and pony up $4.99 a month for great Nuggets, Rockies, Avalanche, Broncos coverage. All right, so the Nuggets got that win in Miami in a big-time win because there were a ton of excuses Denver could have fallen back on. Third game in four nights, a back-to-back. They didn't get into Miami until 3, 4 a.m. Michael Malone said he didn't go to sleep until 4 a.m., the night before this game. And look, Denver came out and they looked a little sluggish. They looked how you would expect Denver to look on the second night of a back-to-back and not getting to bed until 4 a.m. But eventually the Nuggets seemed to take control of this game. 
They outscore Miami 27-24 in the third quarter. Uh, they outscored them 27-23 in the fourth. And this, all in all, was a really impressive win uh, for the Nuggets. Miami is not the easiest place to play. The Heat, really, regardless of the talent they put out there, are going to fight. They're going to scrap. They're going to claw. That's something that's embedded deep in their culture in Miami. And so you always know these games against the Heat are going to be difficult. Uh, but... Like I said, this was a big win. Denver inserts Malik Beasley into the starting lineup, which I thought was an interesting move for Gary Harris. Beasley's first start of the year, really his second start of his career, but I mean, honestly, the first really meaningful start of his career. And I thought he held his own in 36 minutes, scored nine points, four and nine shooting, kind of struggled from three, but gave Denver a good enough effort there. But the overarching theme of this game and the overarching message that came out of this game for me is, Denver won another game late in the fourth quarter that was close. You've heard me speak about the clutch minutes for the Nuggets this year and how good Denver has been late, specifically in the last five minutes of fourth quarters where the scoring margin is within five points. And they did that again versus Miami. This was another game that was close late. And Denver came out on the winning side. And I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think it's luck. This Nuggets team has been really good late in games for most of the season, and I think there's a couple reasons why. The biggest one is because, really, for the first time in Michael Malone's tenor under this current roster, this current phase of the Nuggets, they know what they're doing late in games. This was a theme we talked about last season a lot. Denver didn't really know who was getting the shots with the games on the line. They didn't know who to get the ball to late in fourth quarters. Was it Nicole Jokic? Was it Gary Harris? Was it Will Barton? Everybody was taking turns last year. But this year, we know where the ball is going to be. The ball is going to be in Jamal Murray's hands. And he's going to play a two-man game with Nicole Jokic late in games. Denver has done that time and time again this season. And they did it again in Miami. Take a look at these stats here. Since December 1st, that's the date where it seems like Denver really figured things out late in games. Since December 1st, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have the two best plus minuses in the league in clutch minutes when the score is within five points with five minutes or less remaining. Jamal Murray is a plus 48 in those minutes. Nikola Jokic is a plus 46. Denver is 10-1. and one in clutch games since the beginning of December 2. Like I said, relying mostly on Jokic and Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray has just three turnovers in 42 clutch minutes since December 1st. Nikola Jokic, he had his fourth triple-double in Miami, 29 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. He is shooting 13 of 22 from the field in clutch minutes since December 1st. So the Nuggets know they're going to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray late in games. Whatever action they run is probably going to be initiated by Jamal Murray. Nicole Jokic is probably going to get the shot if Jamal Murray doesn't have it. And the pick and roll they ran late on that final possession in Miami was beautiful. Jamal initiating it, realizing that Nicole Jokic had the angle, and then a great bounce pass to Jokic there, and he goes up and sinks the floater. Just great execution all around on that play, but... Denver knows those two guys are going to be the two guys involved here uh, late in games. And opposing teams will know that too, but uh, that's all right. Even if they know what's coming, it's going to be difficult to stop. And you also get the sense that Jokic and Murray are comfortable in those roles. Look, we know Jamal Murray loves being the guy late in games. I had a really nice conversation with him, a really enlightening conversation, actually, after this win in Miami in the visitor's locker room, just about growing into a crunch time player 
if that killer instinct is something you're born with or something that you can develop and just how your mentality changes late in games from when you're a rookie and you don't really know if you're getting the ball to now when he knows he's going to have the ball in his hand. So that was an enlightening conversation. I posted that on bsndenver.com after the Miami game. So make sure to check that out. It was some really good stuff, some honest stuff from Murray who kind of opened up there, I thought. But then Jokic also seems like he's growing more comfortable late in games. He's turning into kind of a big-time player. He's hit a couple game winners this year. He's had a couple big fourth quarters. And this goes back to what he did in game 82 against Minnesota. I think Nikola Jokic is a big game player. He's come up time and time again in the clutch. And he's come a long way from that one field goal attempt game against Memphis into a guy who can carry the Nuggets offensively if the rest of this team doesn't have it going. He's done it so many times this season. And specifically late in games, I think he's grown into that role. He's starting to embrace being that go-to scorer for Denver. And you see that come up in these close games here. Another note from this game, Torrey Craig was unbelievable. And Michael Mullen said after the game that Torrey Craig might have been this team's MVP for this game. I'd slant Jokic there, but Torrey Craig might have been 1B to Jokic's 1A. 39 minutes for Craig in this game, 16 rebounds, 6 offensive rebounds. He was looking like Dennis Rodman out there. Incredible game from Torrey Craig, really guarding all five positions, and he was great. thought Jamal Murray was solid as well, 18 points, 7-19 shooting. Not the best shooting night, but solid nonetheless. Another interesting story from this game, and this was kind of the theme maybe of this night, other than Jokic's game and uh, his game winner, but Denver got some big contributions from role players on this team, specifically Craig, like I just mentioned, but also Trey Lyles, who had his best game in a while, 15 points on 6 of 8 shooting, hit three triples. So a nice game from him in 15 minutes, kind of finding his stroke on the offensive end of the floor. And Monte Morris, he didn't do much, stats-wise in 25 minutes, but I thought he was solid nonetheless. He had a really good game in Houston, so he's bouncing back from what was probably the worst four-game stretch of his career last week. So this was a great win for Denver, a game they probably shouldn't have won, a game that threw one half and threw one half, and then the beginning of the third quarter where the Heat went on that run didn't look like Denver was going to win. Second night of a back-to-back, three games in four nights, getting into town at 3, 4 a.m. But this win showed a lot of growth from this team, and more so, it showed late in games. Denver knows what they're doing for really the first time in the last three, four years. They know the ball is going to be in Jamal Murray's hands. They know Nicole Jokic is probably going to get that shot to win the game. And it's a role both those guys are embracing. And it's something the team is embracing as well. All right, that's all I got for today's show. Thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy this Nuggets-Clippers game tonight. We'll be back on Friday. We'll also probably release some episodes this weekend. Talk to you guys then. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado Sports Network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to bsnbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network.